the June content, it killed us last week there, Shane, and, and, and the numbers show it. But this week we have a Sunbelt Conference legend that we will bring in here shortly. I don't know about up in Virginia, but it's hot down here in Texas. Shane, welcome in. Tell me about Virginia. Is it as hot up there as it is down here? It it'll go from being hot and then the rain will come and it'll get real cool. And then you don't know what to wear the next day when you get up. Cause uh, it might be 90 again, or it might still be 70. It's, it's been crazy weather wise around here. You know, my kids, we were driving over the mountain earlier today. They were just watching the temperature on the uh, dashboard. They're like 88. Oh, it's down to 84. Like it's, it's the, it's the weather out here is nuts sometimes. It was a dry heat today. It was only 107. So <laughs> take that. No rain for a month. Yeah. But we have a we have an NCAA national champion in Old Miss, the team that likely replaced Old Dominion going into the NCAA regionals. Does it make it any better where the team that that kind of ousted you winds up winning the national title? Does it make it feel any better? Probably not. But I do think. I think it continues to show why, why college baseball is pretty cool and something fans can get behind is because, yeah, it's a team, one of the last teams in wins it. And, you know, this year it happened to be one of those power five teams that, you know, we're not necessarily celebrating that here as the Sunbelt podcast, but one year it was Coastal, another year it was Fresno State. You know, it, it's not always one of those teams. So it, it does kind of remind you of that opportunity is there and, Came, maybe came at the uh, cost of ODU this year, but it could have just as easily been a Texas State or somebody. Um, so that that aspect of it, I think, is you know cool to see. You know, you're probably not you know all the Southern Miss people listening to this probably aren't any happier with it. The ODU people aren't any happier with it, but that aspect of it, I think, is something you can kind of like at least take a little bit of uh, happiness out of. Is that you know anybody can do this in baseball and you know, some of these sports and baseball in particular. So when you say that, to me, I always feel like baseball or basketball national titles are more meaningful because I feel like that that is a true national title, best team in the land, as opposed to football, where out of the however many teams there are, there's really only about 40, 50 teams that are really in the running for that national title. Is that something that you you feel like as well, that, you know, baseball, basketball, that's your true national title? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I'd say, like, best team in the land, like you said, like, because so many times the best team doesn't win it. I don't know. I don't think it was the best team this year. And, you know, a lot of times in basketball, it's not the best team. But that's what makes it so exciting. That's why they get a billion dollars for the NCAA tournament in basketball, even if people aren't watching it in January. Um it's why, you know, a lot of people tune into the College World Series and, you know, tons of Ole Miss fans are down there drinking 14,000 shots. Jello shots. Yes. Okay. I guess, you know, not to say drinking them, but, you know, they're down there celebrating that because there's a level of excitement and uncertainty to it. Like you said, I mean, we can probably narrow it down to which five teams are going to be the last two standing in college football right now. And, you know, there's some level of excitement to that. It's awesome in some ways to see those teams be so excellent all the way through and, you know, see, you know, the program that Alabama's built or whatever. Like, it's 
that's awesome in a different way. But I do think there's probably some excitement level that you don't get from other sports that you do in baseball or uh, basketball. And, you know, even, you know, as similar as baseball and softball is, you don't get it right now in softball because Oklahoma is so dominant. Like it's just, it's a different kind of thing. It's a different kind of entertainment, but um, I guess if you like college sports, it's kind of cool to have a little bit of both. Maybe. I don't know. Does it seem real that this is finally the week? The, that July 1st is is this week when everyone will be official. We'll be a 14-team league and one of the premier G5s once again. June went fast. And I know, like, at the paper, we've kind of just been discussing, all right, what are we going to do for the July 1st edition? We, there needs to be something cool there. But, you know, what exactly do we do? Because it's not like anything crazy is actually happening. It's not like there's a ton of news. We've been knowing this for months now but um it it will be i think a big day i think it'll be day where all the bitterness that comes from conference usa the colonial all that's like behind a lot of people and it's really all about getting ready for september 3rd and the start of the football season interesting conversation i've been seeing a little bit is about you know espn the sunbelt tv deal what this team's coming in means to it everything um so I was curious, you know, I was hoping maybe Jeremy would be on here too, like uh, get his take on this, but I'm curious about people's viewing habits and how they're changing a little bit. And you know, Sunbelt obviously wants to get their games on linear TV, but I do kind of wonder if ESPN Plus is becoming an even better way to reach maybe some younger demographics where, you know, maybe they've already cut the cord and they have ESPN Plus, and so maybe games that aren't available because they don't have the cable package, but they want to watch something on a Thursday night or a Saturday afternoon or whatever, maybe that ends up helping the Sun Belt a little bit as you know, everybody's kind of trying to figure out a way to get those younger viewers. I know that's sort of been a debate about you know, the AAC, Mountain West, uh, Sun Belt, you know, the TV deals, how much you want to be on linear TV and everything, which, you know, obviously you're going to take those games anytime you can get them. But I do kind of wonder if Sunbelt's pretty well positioned when it comes to ESPN Plus is almost being kind of like a face of ESPN Plus for ESPN a little bit where it's something they can really push. It's a love-hate relationship. And I'll say that because I love having watch parties in my house to, to spread the word of, of Warhawks and Sunbelt football to everyone around me. They get kind of annoyed, but I don't really care because they know when they come over here what they're getting. But it's hard to be able to go out to your local bar and watch that Troy game, watch Southern Miss, unless they happen to be playing at SEC school or someone like that, that it's going to be shown. So it's, it's frustrating that really the only way you can watch – Sunbelt Conference games is at home. Especially, I guess, maybe in the local markets. It seems like they ought to be able to get those games on at the bars. I mean, they could stream. You can set up your Wi-Fi at the bar just as easily at home, can't you? I mean, is there like a reason why beyond maybe just like changing people's habits where, you know, your local waitress knows how to turn on DirecTV but maybe doesn't know how to like find it on ESPN Plus? I mean, is that something that can be changed a little bit as people get more used to 
streaming as a thing as opposed to just regular TV? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it also is that these TV systems that they have are only direct TV, only Dish Network. They don't have the capability to have that app for ESPN Plus, even if they wanted to show Hulu, Disney Plus, whatever. They just don't have that capability. And, and so I don't know if they know how to get that going in their system. So what does that mean? Does that mean that Keith Gill is sending out a bunch of uh, fire sticks or Roku's to, you know, B-dubs or anyone else to try to get Sunbelt games on there? Maybe so. It might help. But I, I just don't think that it's been widely adopted yet. And it probably will not be, honestly, until next year, for college baseball, because it seems like ESPN Plus is picking up more and more of college baseball. And so I think that that's going to be the big driver that really gets us into the public venues. Yeah, I, you know, I think you're right. And, you know, football, it's, it's a different animal. And obviously, a lot of people are going to be watching whatever, whatever's on ESPN right that moment. But I do like it's just my own personal experience move not too long ago didn't bring direct TV with me by fall. They have to rearrange that uh, thing. But, you know, right now, if I want to watch something that's on linear TV, it's either I go to the office or a bar or whatever, but I find myself flipping through more. Okay. I pull up the ESPN app, you know, what's on live right now. And it happens to be, you know, a Sunbelt baseball game or a mountain West, you know, baseball game or whatever. And, you know, I do, I do wonder if, you know, is the Sunbelt getting in early on a change in dynamic where, you know, streaming is kind of a pain in the butt right now, but will be that be like the typical thing? Like, was that going to be the same as scrolling through what's live on ESPN Plus right now, the same as flipping through channels 15 years ago? I don't think it's, I don't think it's exclusive to the Sunbelt. I think it's all of the G5 is in that same boat along with FCS. Because I watch just as much Southland Conference on the ESPN Plus platforms, watch some good old swag-tastic action, a little bit of everything. But those are the teams that have already kind of adopted or gotten themselves positioned onto the ESPN Plus platform. The big guys really aren't there. You see it as an extension of your linear uh, TV package that it's an add-on that you're really streaming the SEC network or ESPN or anything like that. As far as the straight plus, it seems to mostly be the G5 at FCS. You did have an interesting idea, though, talking about sending out those you know, Roku sticks or whatever. Like, I mean, maybe that's what the alumni associations for all these 14 schools ought to be doing. Like, send it to, you know, if you're the JMU Duke Club, send those out to some sports bars in Richmond and Harrisonburg and, you know, places where your fans are going to be watching and, you know, save for – you know, where, where do most uh, ULM alumni live? In the Dallas area, South Louisiana area. Yeah, I mean, it might be interesting or, you know, like, or, you know, the official watch bar or whatever for some of these schools. It might be interesting, like, just as a package, like, send those out and, you know, spend 200 bucks on, you know, Roku sticks and see what happens. Maybe it would. Uh... But you still got to pay for the subscription on the back end. But it's still a start because yeah. – I can guarantee you the local bar that I have been going to here recently will start showing ULM games, if nothing else, because I will stand up on a table and scream at them that they have to have some Warhawks on. 
which is what you got to do. Like if you're a fan of anything, like, and you want to watch it, like that's what you got to do. I mean, and you know, in, in any, any service industry, the people who make the most noise are the ones who get, who get served. Right. I mean, so um, it'd be interesting to see, I guess, kind of how it develops that way, because that really is kind of the next step is, yeah, if you're this is just from a James Madison point of view, nobody could see them play on flow sports when they're in the CAA. And I know the conference USA schools feel the same way about, you know, what they had for whatever, whatever different platforms they were on at various times. So I could see maybe some of their groups, their fan groups, their alumni groups and things like be a little more proactive of saying, you know, ESPN plus is available. Get us on, you know, put our games on because, you know, we'll come out and watch them. If we're not driving to Harrisonburg for the game, we'll come to, you know, wherever in Carytown and uh, Richmond or, Northern Virginia or wherever, I think fans will go out and watch them if the games are on in the bars. No doubt. But let me ask you this, because we always make fun of Conference USA and the CAA for their kind of online streaming that they had that was not a very lucrative deal. What are your thoughts? Because even Major League Baseball has done it, where they've streamed games on Twitter, on Facebook. Do you feel that that is an acceptable platform, or is that a good kind of one-off gimmick? I wouldn't think it, like makes sense to be like one of your main things. I think maybe you do it every once in a while and maybe you reach a different group of people than you might have otherwise. I mean, who's who's pulling up Twitter to watch a game for three hours? Like, I don't know very many people are doing that. Um, I do think it's sort of interesting that we're seeing a lot lately is the different streaming platforms other than Netflix really getting into sports here now. Um, I thought, you know, I'm not a huge soccer guy, not definitely not much of an MLS guy, but I thought the deal that Apple TV made with the MLS was really interesting when you look at college sports going forward where they're going to put, you know, some of the best games available on just a normal Apple Plus, you know, subscription, maybe even a few games for free. But then if you want to see every single game, it only costs you like five bucks a month or something. I could see some conferences looking at that option going forward. I mean, if you're Conference USA, maybe maybe Apple doesn't have any interest in that, but wouldn't that be a better deal for Conference USA than anything they've got going on right now? Like to for five dollars, if you got an iPhone, you can watch any Conference USA game. It seems like that would be a better deal than anything they've been able to plan in recent years. And then you can cast it to this Roku that you said that you're sending out to all the JMU alum. Yeah. Exactly. But and, and and I think just as important of getting getting the product out there, getting the video stream going, is that you you've got to have good commentators. And and a lot of the people that we've had commentate in the game do not know Sunbelt Conference. And with that said, the, the conference has tried to push to have their person at every school that's their their constant commentator. I think of Brent Freeman that is at Texas State, Dan McDonald at Louisiana Lafayette, Mike Hamlet at uh, ULM, and, and, and on down the list. But I feel like you've got to have kind of that outside voice to where it's not necessarily a Homer-ish type of broadcast. Maybe it's a fan-driven one. 
now I'm not saying we go crazy like the whole Nickelodeon and the, the, the NFL playoffs and all that, but, but having kind of that third party that really doesn't have a dog in the fight and they just want to watch the football game and comment on what they're seeing in that game. Yeah. But they know and appreciate the conference. That, that's a big deal. I mean, you can think back to, you know, Billy Packer knowing the ACC in and out and being a national voice and you know, that, or, you know, the Big East and basketballs had that. The SEC's obviously got people in football that are that for them. I don't know who it would be necessarily for the Sun Belt, but I think that could be something if it's like this is a big game because this guy is here and he knows this conference and it's going to be a fun, enjoyable thing for us to watch because this is the game of the week or whatever. I, I think that would be something that could kind of help, you know, build the reputation just – we talked about this a little bit with uh, the discussion about building up basketball. A lot of it's about perception and putting out that idea that this is a big game with a big crowd and fun to watch. I mean, that applies to everything, football too. And it's been easier when App State and Coastal are playing on national TV and it's a sold out crowd and everything. Everybody in the country is talking about how cool that is. But, you know, I think something like that, like of somebody who's, associated with Sunbelt football in a broadcast standpoint. I could see that, you know, just helping with the the whole perception and the building, building up the Sunbelt to be that conference that's, you know, just a step below the power five. I'm willing to do it as long as we're sponsored by Fire, Fireball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I was any good on TV or podcast or anything like that, you know, I'd be willing to do it, but, uh, you know, for, for cheap too, but you don't want me. So we have another Sunbelt Conference legend in our midst as Chris the Hitman Harris from ULM joins us. He was a Warhawk from 2000 to 2004, playing in the inaugural season of 2001 before being drafted in the sixth round by the Chicago Bears in 2005. Shane, I know this is before your days, but where you are, you know about him as being the now commander's secondary head coach. Yeah, that's going to be, I think, uh, for the JMU fans, the ODU fans listening to this, they'll probably uh, they'll probably have some interest in the, all the commanders and the Washington stuff. So maybe I'll have some questions for you there. Chris, welcome in. Tell, tell us, how, how is life in the NFL, man? Oh, man. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, life in the NFL has been great. Uh, I have no complaints. Uh, it's been a uh, a very fun ride. I think it's been, what, playing eight, coaching at 17 years total now since uh, I first stepped foot in the NFL, and it's been, uh, it's been phenomenal. That makes me feel old because I remember when you were a freshman stepping on campus and, and, and kind of the deer in headlights there. Uh, what was it like when you went to ULM at that time? They were still 1A independent in 2000, but right on the horizon was 2001 and the dawn of the Sunbelt Conference. Yeah, stepping into ULM, it was a uh, it was a different experience for me, uh, considering I only played one year of high school football. And so, you know, playing my senior year in high school, getting the opportunity to, to get a scholarship uh, from ULM, at the time, I think I had maybe two other offers. I think they were both one double A offers to UAPB and to University of Central Arkansas. So getting a chance to step on campus at ULM, they were uh, moving into one uh, A 
And, you know, the, when I uh, when I got the offer, I was like, all right, I got a Division One A offer. There's <laughs> nothing to think about. I'm taking it and then stepping on campus. It was a it was a it was a fun time for me um, to be able to compete with some of the guys that I was able to play with. Um, it was it was unbelievable. So what was it like, though, in that transition where you go from being a 1A independent where we're really I mean, short of you running the tables, going 11 and 0 you don't really have a lot to play for to in 2001, your, your freshman year, a redshirt freshman year, you got a conference championship that you can play for. And the, and the Warhawks were actually in that first, or excuse me, the Indians were actually in that inaugural game of the Sunbelt conference. Yeah, that, that, that's fun. Uh, with the uh, program switching over to 1A, and now you, you're playing against the likes of the Floridas, the Texas, uh, uh, you know, the old Misses, and being able to compete for an actual conference championship. Uh, it was, uh, it, it was a, a great, a great time, great time. I, he just hinted on it. I guess you were part of a name change in college, um, doing it now, the commanders. Is that something that, like, even gets noticed when you're in the meeting rooms or whatever, when you're, you're in, in the heat of it. I mean, I'm sure you get asked about it, but just since he, he talked about that, was that something that like comes up really like in the day-to-day job? No, it doesn't. You know, it's that first initial shock when they change the name. You know, the guys talk about it like, all right. So, you know, because we went, I, I went through two name changes while I was with Washington. Because yeah. when I got the job, we were the Redskins. So I got the job in 2020. And we were the Redskins, and then that offseason going into the 2020 season, they switched it over to the Washington football team. And so we became the Washington football team for uh, one season, or two seasons for 20 and 21, we became the Washington football, seat, Washington football team. And then in February of this past year, then they changed the name over to the Commanders. And so you just kind of, as a, as a coach, as a player, I think it's more fans that get up in arms about the names than the players do or the coaches. It's just like, hey, whoever we are, whatever we are, we're going to go out and play. So for us, the name doesn't – it doesn't matter to us. We're, we're going to go out there and, and, and play whatever it is. And same thing with ULM. You know, we were the, I, was, I was an Indian. So it was still hard for me to say Warhawks because when I was – when I went to ULM, we were the, the Indians, go tribe, go. And – you know, switching over to uh, to Warhawks was that was that was a little different for me. I was like, okay, it, it took a little time for me to get used to calling uh, calling ULM Warhawks instead of Indians. It's a good thing you can just like you know load up on new gear and uh, get all that good stuff and uh, all the apparel and everything. Absolutely, just uh, get get some new stuff. I still still wear some old stuff and you know mix kind of mix it all in there, intertwine it. So, Chris, you were a guy there from Little Rock going to from the big city to the little city of Monroe. One thing that you told me from the get, I think it was your junior, senior year, when you kind of started getting that draft interest, knowing that you were more than likely at least going to practice squad at the next level. You looked at me and said, man, if you're good enough, they're going to find you. Take me back through that and kind of how that career led to where they knew exactly who you were and where you were. Uh, well, you know, coming into ULM, I was I was not a highly touted, highly recruited player. Um, as I told you before, I only played my senior year in high school, and it's a lot different back then than it was now. You know, now you have all type of avenues. You have huddle, you have Instagram. I mean, you've got everything to where you get exposure. And back then, if a coach didn't see you, nobody knew who you were because they physically had to go to a school 
do this. Like there, there weren't highlight tapes. You could, you know, a kid could go to Huddle and post this on Huddle or go to the Air app, post this on the Air app, and all these coaches can see this video. So it wasn't like that. And so getting there to ULM, um, you know, I, I didn't know if I was going to be any good. I just, I like to play football. I knew I liked football. And I got there. I was an undersized, scrawny um, kid from Little Rock. And so I redshirted my first year because I needed to put on more weight. And, you know, the game of football, to me, it, it came pretty easy from a mental standpoint. I guess that's why I'm coaching now. So from a, from a mental standpoint, I, I love the uh, the X's and O's of the games. To me, it's kind of like math. It's like a puzzle piece trying to fit the puzzles together. And I fell in love with that aspect of the game. And so my freshman, sophomore year, um, being able to study the game, study film, and kind of be able to anticipate things that were going on. And then uh, I think my junior year was uh, probably – it may have been my junior year or after my junior year was one. Cause I never, I never thought about going to the NFL. I never had aspirations going to the NFL when I got to college. I, got, I went to college cause they were giving me a, a scholarship, a free education. Um, and it was a way for my parents not to have to pay for school. And my dad promised me a car if I got the scholarship. So that worked out and going there, I had no aspirations of being in the NFL. I was just going to play football and get my education paid for. And then probably my junior year, was when it kind of started to click for me. Um, we played LSU the first year game of the season. And so we go to we go to Death Valley, play LSU 2003. It was the year they won a national championship. And so we went to LSU and we got beat pretty good. But individually, um, that was I, – I felt looking back on my career, that was kind of my coming out party. Um, you know, I mean, they had some they had some uh, some players there. Um, Adai, Joseph Adai was a running back. I think Mark Clayton was one of the wide receivers. Um, was Flynn, I wonder if was Flynn the quarterback? He may have been the quarterback then, but they, they had some really good players. Skylar Green was there, and I had an exceptional game, that game. Uh, I remember like it was yesterday, first half I had 10 tackles, an interception, a forced fumble, and a sack all in the first half of that game against the national champions, LSU. And after that game, I was like, all right, Chris, you can, you can play with these guys. You can play with anybody. And so after that season, that game, and then that season, I started thinking, okay, maybe. I, I still don't know. Maybe I'll have a chance. And then my senior year, I was fortunate enough to lead the entire country in interceptions that year was seven. And so I ended up getting an agent. And I was like, okay, this thing may be, this thing may be true. You know, I may have a shot. You know, I don't know, you know, if I – if I'll get drafted, I'll be undrafted free agent. I, I don't know how the process will work, but I was very interested in the next level. And I tell people now as a coach, you know, on my computer, I can go look at any school. I can look at Emporia State. I can look at Kennesaw. I can look at any school in the country. I have access to that team's film. So if you're good enough, they will find you. I tell them it doesn't matter what school you go to. You can go to an NAIA school. You can go one AA, Division two, Division three. It doesn't matter if you are if you are good enough. The the resources now that every NFL team has and the technology now, it is unbelievable. And you will be sought after and you will be found if you can play the game, regardless of where you're at. With that said, though, Chris, obviously a well-established NFL coach. Are you, are you going to make the college jump or 
downgrade, however you want to look at it? Uh, no, I, I think I enjoy the NFL game uh, a little too much. The, the, I, you never say never, though. You, you never say I, I'll never say never to anything. But I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not looking to go to college at this point. Um, I, I enjoy the, uh, the scheduling that the NFL brings as far as off time. Um, you know, my phone doesn't have to be on 24-7 as an NFL coach. Like in college, your phone's got to be on. 24-7 um, because you never know you may get a recruit coming in this week you have to be accessible and ready so I kind of like this uh the, the NFL scheduling and the NFL lifestyle a little bit right now I think there's been four ULM coaches since your time of, of, of being a player have you ever been approached about joining the ULM staff or, or any other collegiate staff you know I, I almost I, I thought about it I thought about joining ULM in 2015 2015, I think uh, Coach Perry was still the head coach then, I believe. And so, because I was, uh, I was going to be sitting out of football that season because I was with Chicago. I started my career in Chicago in 2013 and 14, and then after the 14 season, our staff got fired, and so I ended up sitting out the 2015 year. And um, I was approached. Um, I think Coach Collins was still there at the time. As a defensive coordinator, I feel I think Coach Berry was there, and so I, 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 I it, it crossed my mind to come to ULM uh, as a DB coach. And then I end up uh, uh, sitting out and just uh, focusing at home with the family. I just had a newborn at the time, so I end up not doing it and just sitting out. But that was the one time that uh, college did cross my mind. So, how much has your journey as a player influenced the way you relate to players as a coach? I mean, obviously. The guys you're working with now are pros, but, you know, everybody kind of wants to get to another level. And you went from, you know, just hoping you get that 1A scholarship to getting drafted. Like, how much can you kind of bring that to working with players who maybe are, you know, maybe need a pu push sometimes when the things aren't going as well? Uh, I, I do it all the time. Um, being a lower round draft pick, um, I mean, you're, you're fighting every day. I mean, you, you don't have as much um as much rope to say as much leeway as a guy who was highly touted first round second round draft pick so when you're a, a lower guy sixth round seventh round undrafted free agent I mean you're you're, you're literally fighting every day because you don't know which day may be your last I mean the NFL we've all heard of the stands for not for long and the average lifespan in the NFL is three years I was fortunate enough to play eight I was able to double that plus and I understand the the pressures that these guys have, the pressures that they put on themselves, and I understand the uh, the, the magnitude of it and the real the, the real life situation of it uh, that they're going through. And so, to be able to talk to a guy um, to try to help them, coach them through, hey, like this is what we need to do. This is what you need to do. And hey, understanding, like I'm just, I try to be real with them because. People respect you more when you tell them the truth. And the truth may not be what you want to hear at the time, but if you tell me the truth, I can respect you a little more. And so I try to take that approach with my players. Um, and, and before that, it all starts with building a relationship. Uh, I think relationships are huge, especially in this profession. Um, they're, they're, they're enormous, and especially with today's athlete. Um, today's athlete doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so to be able to form those bonds and form those relationships with my players, I, I think it's been um, it, 
it's been outstanding for me. It's it's been uh, one of the things that I kind of hang my hat on, um, building personal relationships with those players. And when you build those relationships with those players, and you in turn can you you can coach them hard. If you don't have a relationship with the guy, it's hard to it's it's, it's kind of hard to coach them hard because um, rules without relationships can create rebellion. And so if you have a whole bunch of rules and you're all tough, but you don't have any relationship with those guys, um, it, they could become rebellious. And so I understand that as a coach and as a player, um, having been in their shoes. You were a three-time all Sunbelt Conference player defensive back. That was really DBU time at, at ULM between yourself, Kevin Payne, Chaz Williams. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the Sunbelt record book, y'all are all right there together. What would you say was your highlight, though, at your ULM career? Ooh, geez, that was that's a that's a good question. The LSU game really rings rings a, a, a bell for me. You know that that LSU game, I thought was phenomenal. But probably the highlight of my career was against FAU in two thousand and four. So we go to FAU. I don't remember if we beat them in overtime or if it was uh, at the end of the game, but we did win that game and I ended up uh, getting three interceptions that game. Um, so that, that was the, uh, that probably was the highlight of my career having a, a game with three interceptions. Bigger than your Super Bowl interception of Peyton Manning? No, that, that, that is the biggest, that, that is the biggest highlight of my career, college High school professionally was uh, getting the opportunity to play in the Super Bowl. Um, unfortunately, we lost it, but uh, to 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 get an interception in that game on Hall of Fame quarterback Peyton Manning. Yeah, I, I think I uh, I got the ball right here. That's still still sitting up in my. I got it right there, you know. So be able to go get an interception on Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl was probably the highlight of my career. That's awesome that you still have the ball, by the way. Oh, I do. Yeah, I, I, I keep I keep some – I have a, quite a good little stash of things, and I have some stuff in the basement. So I got my first career interception up here, uh, Super Bowl uh, interception. My first uh, – I think my first as a coach win, my first win as a coach. So I, I got a few things up there. But I, I, I like to keep memorabilia. You know, it's uh, something I can pass down to the boys, to my, to my sons, and uh, that's, that's pretty fun. And you do have a couple a couple of boys now playing football. Do you, do you kind of coach them up and, and, and hoping that there can be another hitman, so to say? Yeah. So my uh, so my, my oldest son is, is is more into basketball. So he's all basketball, everything. And then my middle son, he's he's. He's both. He's a dual athlete. He's football and basketball. And so, yeah, I, I coach him up quite often from a football standpoint. He loves to go out, do drills. They like to go up. To, I let him I bring him to the facility with me um, now that we're off for the summertime and they want to work out. So we go up there, work out, go through ladder drills, do all kind of drills. And so he's uh, he's the one that's uh, really into uh, into football. Do you still have it, though, that, that you can do the drills with him? Yeah, I still can do the. I still can do a drill. I still, I still can. Uh, I still can coach the drill and, and lead by example. Of course, the nickname Hitman. Explain to us how did you get that nickname, Chris the Hitman Harris? All right, so that nickname came from Paul Letlow, there in Monroe. So Paul Letlow did a story on me my sophomore year. Um, 
for the paper. And so the story was about myself being a, cause I, I played baseball. Cause I, I mentioned earlier, I only played football my senior year. So baseball was all I played. So I was a big baseball player. And he did this piece kind of about how I grew up, you know, only playing one year of, of high school football, you know, and turning into this college player, football player. And so he kind of dubbed it hit man because the way I hit people on the field and because I played baseball. And so Paul Letlow was the person who uh, who gave me that nickname. He did an article and the article in the paper was called the hit man. So that's kind of how that nickname uh, came about. Leave it to Letlow. And for those that don't know, Letlow was the longtime beat writer for ULM, still hangs out around the, the ULM campus. He, he says he, he's a recovering writer now. He only does some stuff for the university every now and again, but still hangs around the program. Great guy, longtime uh, contributor there for the Warhawks. Yes. Why don't you guys Great guy. Chris, we thank you so much for joining us as a Sunbelt Conference legend. You're the man that paved the foundation for where we are today in the Sunbelt Conference, and for that, we thank you. Hey, man, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on, Dusty and Shane. A great conversation with another Sunbelt Conference legend there, Chris the Hitman Harris. I had forgotten how he had gotten the nickname. I was glad that he kind of gave a shout-out to Paul Letlow. Letlow does a lot for, like I said, the university and really did a lot for the Sunbelt Conference also in its infancy. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting, you know, talking about not much desire to get back into college football because listening to this guy talk, you kind of think, here's somebody who's going to be a head coach someday. Here's somebody who could recruit young, young players. Doesn't have a ton of interest in doing that. So it's, that's a little bit of an interesting thing. But, you know, obviously he's got a good situation where he is in the NFL and um, it's going to make probably make a good NFL head coach someday if uh, his trajectory continues the way it is. Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be great to see him leading a true team out there, knowing that he got the, his his start at ULM. And like I said, I remember when he walked on campus, deer in headlights, knew nothing about really football, college, the whole student athlete, and it was just great to see him mature through those four years at ULM. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great story. Somebody who hasn't followed his entire career the way you have. It is, you know, it's awesome to kind of hear somebody who, you know, worked his way up and took advantage of what opportunity he had. Whatever was put in front of him, he took full advantage of that to from early playing days all the way through where he is now as a coach. So, you know, it's always it's always nice to hear those kind of success stories and, uh, you know, talk to somebody who, you know, can kind of relay that message to other people. We didn't ask him, though, what his NIL deal would have been. <laughs> I feel like that was a misspoke. Well, one of the things that we, we failed to mention in that interview, when he was with the Bears and then he got traded to Carolina and then came back to the Bears, he was actually replaced by another ULM player in Kevin Payne, just showing that it's a small world and how much of a DBU ULM was during that time frame. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even realize that. That's, you know, pretty impressive. I mean – What's it going to take for ULM to get back to uh, producing you know, that kind of talent? I don't know. I, I, I've, I've tried to put together an offensive and defensive game plan, but I haven't even mailed it off yet. So it, my, my manifesto is still building. Yeah. Before we digress, it is, it's time for plugs, promos, parting shots. Shane, lead us in on that. 
my parting shot is I wish Jeremy was on here because he said he was in Kansas City today. And being a guy from that area, I just want to know where he ate so I can live vicariously. through. Are you a Gates or Bryant guy? Probably Bryant's. I mean, really, really probably Joe's, but Bryant's over Gates. But I would take any of them right now. I'm I'm way too far away. I haven't been back in a long time. Uh, So I was going to live vicariously, just let him tell me about his meals uh, from being in Kansas City. But we'll have to wait till next week. Oklahoma Joe's, hands down, the Z-Man is the best sandwich on earth. It's, it's unbelievable. I wish I could find some place on the East Coast that does burnt ends quite right. Um, Jack Stacks. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about Jack Stacks. We, we need to end this conversation now before I you know really just start salivating all over the keyboard. So, Chain's about to bail out and go buy a ticket to go back to Kansas City. Yeah, really. For the promo, of course, WarhawkReport.com. And then my parting shot, finally went to go see Top Gun Maverick. I, even though I'm one of the minority that never saw the original Top Gun, not a bad movie. Get out, see it. It was, it was good to finally be back in a movie theater. I had not been in a movie in three years. And, of course, nothing beats movie popcorn. That's true. And it's actually a JMU softball player posted on Twitter, I think, the other day about how good movie theater popcorn is the next day, which I couldn't agree more with. No, it, it, it's not making it out of that movie. If I, it. It's the only thing in the world maybe that's a little better when it's a little bit stale, I think. I don't know why it is, but, yeah, buy another box when you uh, leave if you need to, but that's the day after movie theater popcorn. That, that's the way to go. There's your tip. So until next time, Dusty Thibodeau, Warhawk Report, Shane Metlin with the Daily News Record, and this is Fun Belt Podcast. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.